Welcome to Choosing to Farm, a podcast for first and returning generation livestock farmers and ranchers to share their stories, find connection, and provide insight into the life of farmers who didn't take the traditional path. I'm your host, Jen Colby. Welcome to this week's episode. Um, we're going to do something a little different this week. Uh, instead of doing a conversation or interview with uh, a farmer or several farmers or ranchers, I thought that I might share two um, solo type episodes, including um, what I've, I've come to think of as called chore chats. And, um, and the second being the story of my first moment of a realization that I was indeed a real farmer. Um, If you're a multi-generational person, you may not realize like the identity crisis sometimes, or maybe all the time, that first-gen folks um, struggle with. But uh, that whole question of like, when when will I be a real farmer is actually a thing. Um, I've had this conversation with a lot of folks. And we have struggled like I've been doing this is is 10 years enough is five years enough is one year enough um and in my case I actually um had a moment of clarity where I realized like I this is it this is I am I am actually a real farmer right now um and not everybody does so I wanted to tell the story of that and I'm going to end the episode with um this that story um but first we're going to do a chore chat and that and the idea of a chore chat is is truly ruminating hot on the t- on on a topic and um, while doing chores. So I put in headphones, and you will hear background noise. You will hear you know um, you will hear me running water buckets and that kind of thing. None of the background noises are too disruptive for too long, so I left them all in. Um, but I really was doing chores when thinking about these topics. So it was prompted by a friend. Um, and also a book that I read about um, leadership versus management and um, what that actually means. And it sort of goes and circulates around those topics and topics of success and how um, introversion, like how do introverts play in a in an extroverted world um, as leaders. And so um, I know that you likely have, you think big thoughts when you're out doing chores. I know you guys. Um So here's some of my thoughts when I'm out doing chores. So anyway, I hope you enjoy. So I've been thinking about the concepts of leadership and management. Um, I read read this great question in a Michael Hyatt book. I really enjoy Michael Hyatt uh, and his focus on visioning and goal setting and I spent a bunch of time around the first of the year, as lots of people do, sort of thinking about the future, what I want this year to look like. And I I really, I don't know that we actually ask ourselves that enough. Like, one of his formative questions when working with vision-driven leaders is to sort of ask, start with the question of, are you a leader or are you a manager? 
And I don't think that there's a judgment about being one or the other, but I do think that recognizing being a leader and being a manager are different things. And a leader is really looking forward uh, longer term. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a leader, then you're trying to think big picture. You're trying to inspire. Um, you're trying to you're trying to look at systems and set things up in a, in a bigger way, a way that is inspiring others to do well, um, to get behind a shared vision. And which, you know, pretty important stuff. Um, and then if you're a manager, a manager is about managing. A manager is not necessarily trying to be inspirational. Um, a manager is not necessarily a person who's going to think long term. Often a manager is a person whose huge value is getting things done, not deciding what those things are going to be, but actually just getting them done. And, and I think we can be both um, at different points in our life, but I do think that it's, it can be extremely valuable to identify what you are and also what you want to be because you know just because you are a manager and you're good at making things you know doing things making things get done if you want to have a successful business or if you want to grow or if you want to be you know maybe more profitable maybe not um you might want to look at yourself and ask the question Am I a leader? Should I be a leader? Do I even want to be a leader? Should I be hiring a leader? <laughs> because I really like being the manager. Because um, that's where I'm comfortable and that's where I'd like to be. And I think there's sort of a practical aspect of that. But what I have found in my leadership journey, because I spent a whole lot of time being a manager not a manager of people. I wasn't that. I actually was only that sort of later in my my extension life and career. But I was um, I was a manager in the sense that I thought very tangibly. I thought about okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna do these pasture walks, if we're gonna do this conference, um, if we're going to achieve these goals. These are the concrete ways that we're going to set out to do that. Uh, and I felt like I was pretty good at it. It was sort of a second nature thing. And I was like, oh, you know, I grew up uh, in a very logistically oriented headspace. Um, you know, I'm actually, it's still where my, my natural skill set can be around management. Um, because I'm like, oh, okay, this is how we're going to break this down. This is how we're going to do this thing. This is how we're going to decide what we can accomplish with, you know, this $200, um, you know, and and what is and, – and I feel like I've achieved, you know, good things from being that. And having that skill set can be really important. And what I never realized or identified for my own self was 
um, that leadership, you know, I thought, that's cool. I'm a good manager of things. Um, for the longest time, that wasn't people. That was just things and timelines and money and concrete stuff, steps. But what I, what I, I came to realize over time is that my assumptions about what makes a good leader were completely wrong. <laughs> and that I wasn't a leader was also completely wrong. What I find to be really wild is that most people are not natural leaders. And by natural leaders, what does that actually even mean? Um, well, we think about natural leader as being maybe, maybe a guy, um, maybe somebody who's tall, maybe somebody who's loud, uh, maybe who's somebody who is not afraid at all to share their opinions. Um, maybe that's a person that other people naturally look up to. I, I don't know about you, I've had that experience in lots and lots and lots of places. Sometimes that's been at work, sometimes that's been sort of looking at, you know, farm families. Um, sometimes it looks like the leader in a farm family is, you know, maybe the son. Um, because he's the one who is out front so much more often than other members of the family. But what I've come to realize is that does not mean that that person is the leader. Because the leader might be the really quiet person who is actually thinking long term. The leader could be a person who is being thoughtful and developing the vision for the rest of the family to manage around. We can be both at different times in our life. They definitely require some different thought processes though and building skills. And so <clears throat> that's something that I, boy, I really only picked that up about four years ago. <laughs> uh, I keep talking to these amazing people that I would consider to be leaders um, who are in their 30s and they're like, oh, I, I missed it. And I'm like, yeah, well, <clears throat> I would say I was 47 when I finally really, really realized, oh, these are skills that are built. Most of us don't actually have uh, in a just most of us just aren't born with these. And what does it even mean? So are we a person who's who can't help but think long term? <clears throat> are we a person who wants to develop a vision? Maybe you don't know how to do that. That's cool. The fact that you might want to develop a vision is actually a sign of leadership right there. It just means you don't have the skills and leaders can be taught. If you want to build those skills, those options are out there. They're definitely out there. <clears throat> and they're out there in lots of different places. <coughs> I've been finding that skill building, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it has been coming from the business community. Um, not typically the local business community necessarily, but that's also not where I've been looking. Um,
but we can build those skills. And the first place that we need to start, and this is the piece I was frustrated for so many years. I just kept thinking, you know, why, why am I not recognized as a leader? I keep going to all these meetings. I keep showing up. I keep thinking big picture. I keep trying. Um, and what I, what I discovered was um, I was an unbaked leader. <laughs> and I'm not going to say we're ever like fully baked because I actually don't think that we are. Um, because once we, once we think we know everything, we should just stop. Because <laughs> the truth is, like, everybody in the world can learn more stuff, and we can all be better leaders. But, but I realized some pretty major holes that I had. Um, I had good technical knowledge. I had good technical information. Uh, I knew a lot in my chosen field about the technical side. But what I, I didn't know was I didn't know what, how I was holding myself back. I didn't know what I needed to do to work on myself. And that's the first step, I think, to, to realizing and stepping into being a good leader. We have to work on ourselves. And... How do we work on ourselves? Well, sometimes there are folks that can, that can help us through that. Sometimes we need to read books and listen. Sometimes we need to learn from podcasts or other. I mean, it doesn't have to cost money. It can be free. But we have to identify, or low cost, um, but we have to identify that we are not either or. We're a work in progress and a work in process. And to be a good leader, I think, is to always keep asking the question, what can I do better? What can I do differently? How can I be better, a better leader? Um, at, the, at the beginning of my super leadership journey, I mean, sort of, I think about it as, as always being an ongoing process because, you know, as long as we're still, as long as we start growing and as long as we're still trying to grow, then we're in our leadership process. But, but what, so about four years ago, I'll just sort of like give a little bit of background. About four years ago, Chris and I were in, we were very excited. We had, we'd bought the farm. Um, we were at our new location. Life was great. And we both said, boy, life is great, but what's next? And, like, we need a new thing. Because it had taken so much just emotional lift, energetic lift, to buy the farm. I mean, it, it took a whole lot of mindset shift that we could do this, that we even wanted to do this. Um, especially on Chris's side, you know, like, he had to really be all in on this. Um, so that in itself was a pretty important journey to go through. And, and then we said, what's, what's the next phase? What do we need, what do we need to do next? Because um, we think that there, is, there, there does need to be a next phase, of course, uh, after we rested. 
because it was very emotional and, like I said, physically exhausting, energetically exhausting. Everything was exhausting. And for the first year, we just slept. I mean, I took care of animals, and we watched TV, and we we slept. <laughs> it was just a lot of that. Cooked. We cooked a lot. That was great. Um, so, but then we asked this question, and there was a. I think we were subconsciously asking this question. I don't actually even know if we overtly asked this question, but we were both in the same space where we said, okay, what's next? And across Facebook came this, uh, just a gen generic Facebook ad for Jack, uh, Jack Canfield training. It's called the uh, one day to success. Um, and it was going to be in Boston, which is only a couple hours from us. And Chris was like, hey, look at this. It's reasonably priced. Do you think that this might give us a, you know, might sort of help us with thinking about where we're going and what we want to do next? And I was like, okay, sure, let's do that. I don't know what it'll do. I don't know what it'll mean. <clears throat> And so we did some things. We did some things to sh change our mindset around doing it. Um, we got kind of a nice hotel on purpose because we wanted to step into a future that we wanted, which is actually a thing. It's like a whole separate topic of a church at, but um, doing the thing that you want to see yourself creating is actually a super powerful exercise to do. Um, but we'll talk about that another time. Uh, so, so anyway, so we went to this Jack Canfield. There were, geez, a thousand people there. It was pretty cool. Um, we really enjoyed Jack. Jack is not for everybody. Some people like someone who's a little bit more exciting, a little higher energy. Um, but we really liked... We really liked Jack um, because we really appreciate his teaching style, which is pretty mellow um, and really emphasizes the things that you can do for yourself. And I I've, maybe maybe it's because I'm, you know, live in a farming world where I think a lot about how we do things for ourselves. It doesn't always have to be external. Um, but it really, so Jack res really resonated with us. And we came out of that one day, which is so wild to say, but like we came out of that one day change. Chris and I both did. And I wouldn't, you know, guarantee that for everyone. You got to be in the right place in the right part of your life. And whatever that message is, it's got to hit you in the right place. Um, I've also come to realize that Sometimes when we don't change, it's because we're not ready. We haven't decided we're ready. Um, and so we don't we don't get attracted to the right thing at the right time. That's okay. But the point here is that when we left Jack Canfield that day, we were changed because we were ready to. And we both realized... I wouldn't say we articulated that we were ready to step into leadership. We weren't ready to articulate that yet at all. 
what we were. And what we started to do was we started to read every day. We actually started to meditate every day, just a few minutes, 15 minutes. Um, and we started to do some kind of physical activity, which is a little bit of a bigger deal for Chris than it was for me because I already move animals every day or check animals every day or carry water buckets or feed or whatever. I do physical stuff every day. So for me, that felt like a little less of a deal than, than it did for Chris. But reading, so the, the idea was an hour of power. It's like everybody can fit in 20 minutes of reading a day, 20 minutes of meditating, and 20 minutes of some kind of exercise. And if you're a farmer or a rancher, <laughs> it'll be a lot more than that, 20 minutes of exercise. So really, it's like the 40 minutes of power. So, <laughs> so you can change your life in 20 to 40 minutes a day. And I, I, didn't, I did not know that. I didn't think that. I didn't realize that. Um, <laughs> and the first thing I did was, well, I started reading Jack's book, The Success Principles, which I highly recommend as a starting place, an incredible starting place for anyone who wants to improve their life in any way. Um, and no, I'm not paid to say this. <laughs> uh, but I recommend it because the success principles are really about, well, I think the title is how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And they are foundational principles. That's why they're principles. Actually, it's one of the things that I love the most about the concept of principles. It's not prescribed. Principles are concepts, they're ideas, they're structures. And how you apply those, that is what is real for your life. How you apply principles is so context dependent. <laughs> it is so it is so about what works for you and what you need in that time, in that moment. And so for me, I just started with principle number one. You are 100% responsible. And if you can't get past principle number one, well, you're set up for a block. You're set up for a barrier. And if you can get past that, sort of the world opens up. And, and we think, you know, I think a lot of us, especially in farming and ranching, we think we are responsible. We're responsible all the time for other things. But when we look inside ourselves, are we really, are we really responsible? Because we still complain about the weather. We're not responsible for that. We complain about, you know, um, we complain about the government. <laughs> we're not necessarily responsible for that unless we hold elected office or something. Um, in which case, we're only responsible for that part that we're actually directly part of. And so being 
100% Responsible is an entirely different short chat, and I've actually already recorded that one. But, but my point is, I started to read Success Principles, and each principle that I read, I just read like one principle a day. It's just a few, few pages, and I thought about that. And then I started reading books that were recommended in that book. You know, if you want to dig more into this topic or that topic, check out this book or that book. And I started to build a reading list. And within a couple of months, I real I was reading books about management, people management, and leadership, and realizing that I had been thinking in my head that I had been, you know, a decent leader, that uh, I was doing an okay job, but I realized, like, I could be doing so much better, so much better, and <clears throat> and I realized one of the other concepts, E plus R equals O, events plus response equals outcome. And that concept got me through the next three years of my job, which was very, very difficult years. Um, because I realized that I wanted to be able to get through and to, to par depart with my head held and how incredibly important that was for me. And so I worked on building other leadership skills at the time. I realized that if I thought I was a leader, <laughs> I didn't. I was too conflict averse to have difficult conversations. I still work on that. I'm probably always going to work on that. My family upbringing was not to talk about difficult things. It actually was to minimize and not talk about difficult things. And professionally, I've had to rise to the challenge to talk about difficult things. And I think that that... That is a leadership skill. But we think about it. We may or may not say, oh, I'm a leader. I'm not a leader. But if we want to be a leader in any way, and when I say leader, I really don't mean, you know, <laughs> I want to lead a whole department. I want to run a farm. I want to do, maybe you just want to manage the employees that you have better. <laughs> so let's. Let's re-examine what it actually means to say the word leader, because it isn't always the top. <laughs> it is often the day-to-day -day person who's looking out for some other people. Sometimes they don't even have a person that they oversee, but that doesn't mean we can't build leadership skills in them. And I think that that's really important in farming and ranching, because we can build leadership skills in our employees as well as ourselves, because these are skills. These are absolutely skills, and these are not necessarily skills that people are taught. In fact, I, in my experience, they're not um, nearly as often as they should be. And the and encouraging people to recognize that they are leaders. Um, I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine when I when I put forth this concept of leaders versus managers, and um, she said, you know, 
I don't think most people think of themselves as leaders and we don't want to scare them away. <clears throat> or she said something similar to that. Um, but most people, most, you know, most of the people in our world are, don't think of themselves as leaders. And so this is almost too high level. This conversation is almost too high level for them. And I think I would challenge that. And the reason I would challenge that is that I think more people in the farming and ranching community are leaders than they realize. They're not calling themselves leaders, but they are thinking long term. They're not calling themselves leaders, but they are trying to build something bigger than themselves. And they're looking out to the future. Maybe they don't have a written vision. Maybe they need to work on their people skills. You know, maybe their business structure isn't quite where it should be. But that does not mean that they're not leaders. And I think that we should develop resources to help people in our space be better leaders. And I think it will actually help the managers be better managers, too, because I think there's also this, this lovely uh, <laughs> there's this lovely thing to be able to say, you know, I really love being a manager. <laughs> and, you know, we need those. We need people who are not going to fight over whether they're, you know, whether they're in charge of things, whether they have to think long term. You know, there are some amazing people out there in the world that we need because they're so good at thinking about next week. In fact, the leaders, sometimes leaders think a little too far out and don't always think about how do we make payroll next week so I know I know a few of those so I think that there's a role for all of us and I think there are skills to be built for all of us as well so it started for me with reading and practicing and part of that practicing was to have you know to read a thing about staff and then to have a a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the staff that I was supervising at the time and to just own up to them that I did not think that I had been as good a leader as I wanted to be and I encouraged them to talk to me and I told them that I would talk to them and we would work through things because because I wanted us all to be better and I think that that was helpful I hope that was helpful you know part of the part of the challenge of leadership is you don't always know until you get tested <laughs> um, and you don't always know unless you invite feedback and that's really scary so part of leadership is doing some scary stuff which is ironic because I think that as farmers and ranchers, we do scary stuff every day. But somehow it feels scary to work with a dangerous animal, but it's within our wheelhouse. And to do something that is unknown, to reach out, to ask for help, to admit we don't know, and to go into that sort of dark place 
outside of our circle of, of control and our circle of knowledge into some nebulous out there so that we can make that circle be bigger. Oh, that's scary. But I got to tell you, it's I've done a lot of work on myself in the last four years. And once you open that door, once you open that circle, it's cool. It's really cool. You sort of see the world in a different way. And I feel lighter. That's the thing. I, I had so many self-limitations. Um, and so many things that I did for myself, to myself, where I limited myself. I put the brakes on myself. I didn't stand up for things that I felt were important. And I did all that for the wrong reasons. I did it to keep myself small. And we shouldn't do that. None of us should do that. And whether you're in farming or ranching or whether you're in anything else, I think that leadership is still really important. And understanding if you have that tingle that you want to be a leader, you want to be uh, looking out for others, you want to be thinking a little bit more long-term, you want to be bigger picture. Oh, I think there's so many opportunities. And I think there are more of us out there. And I'm going to close, but one of the last things that I also realized in the course of, of reading over the last few years is the power of the introvert. Because I think naturally when we go back to who we think is a leader or what we, what we think a leader looks like, you know, um, they tend to be tall, they tend to be male, um, they tend to be white. And, you know, when you look at your Fortune 500 companies, there are not that many folks of color, there's not that many women. Um, there's sort of this perception that we have. Well, that's actually evolved over the last several hundred years, and it has a lot to do with sort of um, – Europe, particularly England's impact on us and the way that the U.S. has grown up and that kind of thing. And so there's a whole history behind this, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can change that. And it's also been oriented toward extroverts, people who are loud. I don't necessarily mean loud, loud, but I just mean people who, who are not afraid to um, talk they're not afraid to talk through their thought process out loud. They're encouraged to be part of the conversation in an animated way. And when you think about that, regardless of gender or, or, or race or any of or background, any of that stuff, that's an extrovert. <laughs> and I would probably argue, not that I know this for sure, but I would probably argue that some of those Fortune 500 uh, company folks who are neither over six feet tall nor um, or are a person of color or, or female, um, I would argue that probably those people are pretty extroverted, and that's how they've been able to overcome some of those other um, li limitations or strikes against them in the sort of traditional sense. What, um, what I love is recognizing the power of introverts as leaders, and that is just absolutely something that I'm starting to explore myself. You might not think it if I have a podcast and I'm actually saying stuff out loud or I had a, a public job um, in extension where I, you know, had to speak in front of groups of people, large groups of people and organize large groups of people. But I'm actually I'm an extroverted introvert. Um, these are skills that I've built over time. I've gotten used to it, but um, I need to recharge. And that's so much of an introvert needs a little time to think. Um, needs time to recharge, 
and isn't always verbally processing. Sometimes we need quiet time to be able to think and process. And that is a place where I just wonder how many of us are actually leaders and want to be leaders, but we think we're not upfront enough. We think we're not loud enough. We think we don't share our opinions enough. And the truth is that some of the most thoughtful and introverted people in the world have been our most powerful leaders. Gandhi was an introvert. <laughs> Mother Teresa was an introvert. Um, Nelson Mandela was an introvert. So, like, these are some really incredibly powerful people who didn't speak that often, but when they did, they dropped these, you know, beautiful words of wisdom. They went on and they did their work on a day-to-day -day basis. They wrote, they thought. That's, those are the hallmarks of an introvert. And I think an introvert can be the most thoughtful, most incredible leader if we just let ourselves do that. If we just let ourselves do it in the way that we feel comfortable doing it, we can still build those skills. We can still release the brakes. We can still think about the outcomes. And we can do it in a really thoughtful way. Um, and I would love to see more introverts identifying themselves as people who would want to be leaders and develop those skills in themselves. So just put that out there. Um, I hope that you consider it. Uh, yeah. Hey, introverts, the world needs you. The world needs you to be leaders and step it up. So let me know what you think about it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's a dark night. Driving home from my friend Joe's birthday party. I'm in the car, so I thought I would do a little bit more recording of things. Um, I said that... I said that I would tell the story of realizing the day or the moment that I realized that I was a real farmer. And, and I've talked about how uh, self-esteem challenged I was as a farmer and identity challenged I was as a farmer. And I so craved to be a farmer. Um, and I don't know if that goes back to my great-grandparents being farmers. I don't have any idea. It's not like, I mean, we raised animals when I was a kid. We always, you know, a bunch of years we had three or four pigs and I raised rabbits when I was a kid too and, um, and into my teens, <clears throat> actually into my late teens. Um, and I just was always sort of identity challenged um, that way and, and wanted to be, but I never... I didn't feel like I really was a farmer. And then I got to a point where we were at our first place and I had just had uh, a little bit of a high tensile fence installed and I thought I wanted sheep. Like I thought it would be cool to get free sheep. So I have, you know, an old, old friend of mine from high school, um, and her family always raised sheep. She did, she did 4-H sheep when she was in New Jersey. And then when she moved to Vermont, um, she and her family still raised sheep. And I don't remember, I was talking with her one day and I, and she said, you know, we're still lambing. We still do that. Um, 
you know, not a lot happens with the ram lambs. Uh, lots of the ewe lambs end up staying in the flock, and mom just really loves the lambs every year, and we don't really know what to do with the ram lambs. We're not really even sure we care about the ram lambs. So I can talk to my dad and see if he just wants to give you those ram lambs. And and I said, well, yeah, free free sheep, of course, <laughs> like thinking that that would be uh, a great way to get my, you know, grazing system going and my sheep flock thing going and all the things going, you know, my farming going. Because at that point I had only had chickens and turkeys. I can't remember if I had pigs yet. I think I did have pigs, just a few pigs, probably five, four or five. Um, so that's really all I could afford to buy, actually. I mean, I probably would have been a bigger uh, going concern in the pig world a lot sooner if I had actually had the money to buy more than a few pigs at, at a time and then more than enough money to feed a few pigs at a time. Um, <clears throat> so, so I love this. So my, this is my friend, my friend Darby, my friend Darby's dad, Brian, <clears throat> and Brian is a teacher in the town north of us. And he lived kind of south of us. And so he would drive his car every day uh, past our house, basically on his way to work. And so and he, I think he drove a Toyota Tercel. I think so. It was like a little car. Um, I can't remember if it was actually even a four-door. It might have been a two-door. Um, it was small. It was green, I think. And um, and so he would drive past us. And then he decided... So, he had three lambs, ram lambs, and he was going to give those to us. And he, the first day that he was going to deliver them all at once, but the first day he, he pulls up in the car and he couldn't catch all three of them at once. He could only catch one of them. So he said, okay, well, I brought you the first one and, um, and here it is. And, and so we pop it inside the five strand high tensile fence and, um, and the lamb is there and it's kind of confused as it, of course, and there were no other animals around. I didn't have any other animals to keep it company. Um, I've since learned so many things about sheep behavior and, uh, herd behavior and prey animal behavior and how freaked out that poor little ram lamb must have been. I mean, he wasn't tiny. He was a decent size, but still he was a kid. He was just a little kid. Um, so, so I think we had him for maybe two days. I think he might've shown up maybe on a Thursday or a Friday. And then that Saturday we had some kind of a party. I don't remember what it was, but my boss at the time, um, came down to visit and see the animals and brought one or two of his kids. He had a few kids, three kids. And, um, and they, he and a kid, one of his kids went out back to look in the whole party was in the front and he went out back to look at the lamb and the lamb completely freaked out, popped between, well, I'm sure these guys didn't do anything, but the lamb was just completely freaked out in general heightened state of terror. And even, you know, 48 hours later. So he pops out uh, of the fence and 
they come back around and they're like, so your lamb is out. <laughs> we don't know what to do with that. <laughs> We're sorry. We don't know what we did. I was like, I'm sure you guys didn't do anything. Um, and so, and it must've been like our birthday party or something because, um, because we had other people at the house for some reason. So the lamb is up behind the house and he's running back and forth. He doesn't know where to go, but there's a pathway at the very top of this little hill in the woods behind our house. So he's going back and forth and we're trying to catch him. And of course, if anyone knows, anyone listening to this is probably going to be someone who's tried to catch a four-legged livestock animal at one point or another that's scared out of its mind. And you know that no matter how you try, as a two-legged, slow-moving human person, you are never going to catch that animal in, in traditional ways. You can pen it, you can, you can scare it into something, you can get it to connect with other animals of its type, you can do all kinds of things, but you aren't going to straight out catch it. So as a total aside, <laughs> this makes me laugh every single time I think about it. So as a total aside of the, like my self identity as a farmer thing, I got to tell you, like, so this little lamb, he's going back and forth, back and forth. My dad has this idea because my dad had, was there at the party. He had gotten, um, he was like intrigued, like, how do we catch this thing? Um, so my dad lies down on the top of the ridge where the, where the lamb is going back and forth. Um, he lies down next to a fallen log that the lamb has been jumping over every time, you know, we'd go to one end of this little hill and the lamb would run away on this path and he'd jump over the, the log and then he would get to the other end and there'd be another person there or something that would scare him and he would run back and he would jump over the log. So my dad had this great idea to lay down in the dirt next to the log and one of us, I think it might have been me, might not have been me, I'm not sure, one of us started to walk along the path behind the little ram lamb and the lamb got freaked out and he ran away and he jumped over the log and my dad kind of had this vibe. Like he had this, I know it's coming. <laughs> I can hear it or I can feel, I don't know. He had some sort of sixth sense and he reaches up and he grabs the lamb by the leg and he catches it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, as an Eastern family, we're not big ropers. We don't know how to do that stuff, but boy, he just reached out. He just knew where that hoof was going to be. And he grabbed the leg and he caught the lamb and we got it's so awesome. And we got the lamb back inside the fence and the, the lamb like stood up in the corner of the pasture and he was inside the fence and he was just by himself and he was just like, Ugh. like everybody just leave me alone. And I of course was pretty darn happy at that point to just leave him alone, honestly, so he could do his own thing. Um, 
and I can't remember. I was like, okay, you've got grass, you've got water, you've got, you know, you know what to do. And I can't remember if it was one or two, maybe even three days later, you know, I went to check on him and I thought, okay, he's just, he was always up in that corner. Um, he was kind of protected and you know, there are trees and stuff up there. Um, I just presumed that when I left, he came out and he ate, you know, he grazed or he did whatever. Um, and what I didn't know was that he was really in the process of, of dying of shock or starvation or some combination, because I think he was so scared that he, he never came back out again. He never responded um, again. And it was, uh, and every time I went to look at him, I was like, okay, he's hanging out up there. But he actually, I think that it wasn't by choice. I mean, I think that he was just, he, he didn't know... He, he needed he needed more sheep and he was in shock and he was he was afraid and so I go I go out there two or three days later and Chris is off uh, doing a night meeting he had a lot of night, night meetings in his work at the time and I can't remember if, if you know Connor was even home um, I just remember sort of be really being by myself and going outside and he in the and I found the lamb up in the corner where he had been and he was dead and that was it's not that I never had animals die before but um, goodness knows if you raise chickens you have tons of them die um, but there was something about that lamb and I, I felt like I hadn't done right by him um, I felt like I hadn't introduced him in such a way that he would be set up for success. And I felt like I didn't know what the signs were. Like maybe I should have penned him up, gotten him food, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, you know, that's one thing about being livestock farmers. You can always second guess yourself. Um, and the truth is that they might've died anyway, but, um, so, so it was a pretty sizable lamb. <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, he was a, a, a good solid 60, 70 pound lamb. I mean, he wasn't a little tiny thing. And I didn't, I mean, never farmed with a tractor. I didn't have anything to make a hole with. Um, I did have a shovel. That was all I had. And so I started to, I got the shovel and I, I decided, well, he's too heavy really to move very far. So I started to, uh, do, you know, dig a hole for him right there in the corner of the paddock, um, up by the, the corner of the fence under the trees and it wasn't a very deep hole either. And then it started to rain and it was really hot and it started to rain and there were bugs and it was the summertime and dusk started to fall because it was, you know, I mean, I went up to find him maybe it was after dinner or something and he was just up there. And I just had this moment of clarity of burying a dead sheep in the rain by myself. And I thought, I'm a farmer now. Like, this is actually who I am. I'm burying a dead sheep in the rain by hand. And 
I just knew at that moment, and it didn't mean that I didn't have self-esteem issues or identity issues again, because um, at that point I wasn't working for UVM yet. Um, and when I began to work in extension and work with a lot of different kinds of farmers, I again questioned myself and, and whether I was actually you know, the audience that I was serving, even though I always felt like I should be the audience I was serving at the time. Um, it's one of the reasons why I love uh, doing this, doing a podcast is that I, I am the audience that I'm talking to. We all have different experiences, but, but, uh, what brings us together is that I, I am the audience too. Um, I have, ex I have, uh, similar experiences. If not, if, even if we all have this different experiences, so that was, that was the, my moment of clarity, realizing burying a dead sheep in the rain, I was a farmer. Um, didn't matter how many, didn't matter that I only had the one sheep. Um, and then later on, uh, Brian came back and he'd gotten to the other two lambs and they came together and that was great. And then they both died too. <laughs> Jeez. And I said, I'm never having sheep again. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, you know, I did eventually become a sheep farmer, right? <laughs> Thanks for listening to a solo episode this week. Um, next week, we'll be back with another farmer conversation. If anything about leadership or management or being an introvert or your first holy cow, I'm actually a real farmer now moment resonates, please drop me a line. Um, I would love to hear from you. And if you have friends or neighbors who might enjoy listening to this ep this show, um, Choosing to Farm, please share the podcast with them. If you'd like to support the show through Patreon or Anchor, you can do that. All these things you can do right through the choosingtofarm.com website. Um, and if you'd like to keep up with all the things going on in our Choosing to Farm community, including some really exciting things coming up at the end of March, please join our email list um, because folks there are going to hear about some of these things before anyone else does. So I want to make sure that you're on that list. Thanks so much. I hope you all have a great week and we'll let Chris play us out.